Well, we have two stories for you this week. First, within the next two decades, the Arctic Ocean is expected to be free of ice in the summer. That's going to mean lots of ship traffic, and lots of ship traffic means the potential for lots of accidents and oil spills. We'll talk about what one ocean service office is doing to prepare. And a new study shows that the economic value of services provided by NOAA's National Geodetic Survey is in the range of billions of dollars. And that's billions with a B. And we'll take a closer look. It's Wednesday, July 8th, 2009, and those stories are coming right up on this episode of Making Waves from NOAA's National Ocean Service. As I just mentioned, within the next two decades, scientists estimate that the Arctic Ocean is going to be free of multi-year ice in the summer. This total summer ice out is going to mean lots of new commercial traffic, from oil tankers to container ships to tourist cruises. And it's also expected to lead to a flurry of oil and gas exploration. But while most people may be thinking about the economic opportunities that are opening up as the ice thaws, one office, the NOS Office of Response and Restoration, is thinking about something else entirely. They're thinking about what all this new traffic in this very remote area of the world will mean in terms of the risk of accidents, collisions, and oil spills. Now consider the Exxon Valdez oil tanker spill in Alaska's Prince William Sound back in 1989. This one spill resulted in the loss of around 11 million gallons of oil, and this area was far south of the Arctic Circle. It was in a place with calm seas, ice-free conditions, and it was where sea and shore-based oil response equipment was relatively nearby. And even with all of this, cleanup took three years. And today, 20 years later, the environment and communities in the area are still recovering. And now consider what conditions are going to be like in the Arctic Circle. Unpredictable ice conditions, moving ice flows, unsettled weather, and erratic wave patterns are just a few of the things that are going to make the journey treacherous for a lot of vessels. And since the Arctic is much more remote and undeveloped than most other regions of the world, vessels crossing the area are going to have little or no emergency response infrastructure or support if they get into trouble. And given that there's no nearby support services for salvage and emergency response, even a minor breakdown could lead to a big spill. And there'll be no nearby search and rescue teams, of course, So if ships collide with floating ice or other vessels, they're likely going to have to wait a really long time for help to arrive. And finally, on shore, things aren't expected to be much better. Shoreline erosion and the melting of permafrost are going to dramatically affect the stability and safety of communities in the Arctic region. Oil pipelines and other infrastructure that are located in permafrost are going to destabilize as the area warms up, and this, too, is going to increase the risk of spills. So to address all of these factors, the Office of Response and Restoration is working with the University of New Hampshire's Coastal Response Research Center, along with partners from Norway, the University of Alaska, the Prince William Sound Oil Spill Recovery Institute, and the University of Rhode Island. And the goal is to better understand and prepare for this not-too-distant Arctic future. Now this work is also part of a larger joint program with industry to improve response capabilities and contingency plans for responding to Arctic spills. Now it's a work in progress and it's going to take years, but the Office of Response and Restoration has already identified main areas, key areas to focus on, 
as part of a broad Arctic preparedness and response strategy. We're going to talk about just a few of those now. Now, one of the big ticket items will be to put in place a better response capability in the region. Now, right now, response assets would have to come from Anchorage in the lower 48 states, and that would equate to days or even weeks to get to the scene of a spill. And since it's such a vast area and it's so remote, the office is also looking at alternative response measures, like using dispersants to break up and sink the oil before it does more damage, or even burning the oil in place to prevent it from spreading and damaging a bigger area. So there's going to be lots of research going on to figure out how to best deal with oil spills in such remote places. Another task high on the list is to understand more about the environment in the Arctic Ocean and how this is going to impact spills. Now the problem is, is that while we know some things about oil behavior in cold water, we need to know more about how oil behaves in sea ice as it freezes and thaws. So response and restoration is beginning the process of conducting research with partners at University of New Hampshire to figure out what types of technologies will work best to tackle spills in the region. And unlike in the lower 48 in Alaska, where spill responders have detailed models, maps, and guidelines to tackle spills and help restore the environment, we just don't have this information for the Arctic. So NOAA is also focusing on gathering more data about what biological resources, what plants and animals, are most at risk and where those plants and animals are located. And finally, researchers are working to develop better models to predict what might happen to pollutants and oil in such an extreme cold environment. And this, of course, will be critical information for emergency responders. Well, that's just a sample of what's going on in uh, the Office of Response and Restoration in terms of preparing for our future Arctic. And you'll find a companion online story with lots of helpful links about these efforts. And that's uh, in the Features section of the NOS website. And you'll find that at oceanservice.noaa.gov. And learn more about the activities of the Office of Response and Restoration at response.restoration.noaa.gov. Next up, the National Geodetic Survey. So for over 200 years, NOAA's National Geodetic Survey has been in the business of delivering exact position information. And to do it, the NGS maintains what is known as the National Spatial Reference System. This reference system is used for mapping, navigation, and charting. It's helpful maybe to think of it as a highly accurate web of coordinate points on land and in space. And these points define latitude, longitude, height, scale, gravity, orientation, and even the location of shorelines throughout the U.S. Now, if you've ever used a handheld GPS device or a navigation system in your car to help you find your way, you know the National Spatial Reference System. You've used it. But you've probably also benefited in ways you might not realize. National Spatial Reference System's collection of over 1.5 million positioning points and 1,300 continuously operating reference stations are critical components for transportation, for navigation, and for communication systems. They're also used for land record systems, mapping and charting efforts, and for defense operations. But just how critical is all of this? Well, a new study by Levison Consulting shows just how important this system is to the U.S. economy. Researchers looked at the total economic value of all revenue generated from private surveying and mapping and from related services in the government and nonprofit sectors. They also measured the potential cost savings from improved accuracy of position and elevation data. And when they added it all up, 
they calculated a potential benefit to the economy of $2.4 billion a year. But that's not all. The study also found that an additional $522 million, that's half a billion dollars, in annual economic benefits could be generated by the implementation of a new vertical reference system. This vertical reference system allows users to determine more precise elevations using GPS. And we're going to talk just a bit more about what this project is all about because it's really interesting. And while the global positioning system, as most of us know, revolutionized the measurement of latitude and longitude and allows us to pinpoint coordinates anywhere on the Earth, there hasn't been a comparative leap in technology for height measurement. The new vertical reference system is designed to bridge this gap for the United States. And the project to create this system is called the Gravity for the Redefinition of the American Vertical Datum. Now, GPS height measurements today aren't very accurate because the system uses a very simple model of sea level to calculate height. But once completed, the new NGS model will permit fast and accurate height measurements within an accuracy range of just 2 centimeters throughout the U.S. And this new model will be incorporated into future GPS receivers. Project managers say that this will be costly up front, but it's going to be a lot cheaper in the long term since it will virtually eliminate the need for people to gauge heights by hand using traditional land-based survey technology. Improved elevation data will have broad benefits, including improved floodplain mapping. These improvements could guide the placement of building structures and highways, help establish public safety requirements, and help determine locations of levees and evacuation routes. In fact, approximately $240 million in costs could be saved annually just through improved floodplain management. And that's just a taste of what's in the new study. There's a lot more to it, and you can read the entire document online and get a quick one-page overview of the study at www.ngs.noaa.gov. And I should add, there's also an online companion story on the Ocean Service site. And you'll find that in the weekly news section of oceanservice.noaa.gov. And oceanservice.noaa.gov is where you go to read the latest news and information about the National Ocean Service. It's where you get news about our ocean. And it's where you get this podcast. So head on over to oceanservice.noaa.gov. And that's all for this week. And now we're going to bring in the ocean. This is Making Waves from NOAA's National Ocean Service. We'll be back in a couple of weeks.